Today's episode is about money, kind of. It's about asking for money in exchange for your goods and services in a very intimate way known as sales. Today's guest is the business monk, Dave Burns. Uh, Dave is the founder of Sales Alchemy, a workshop that teaches people on how to sell from an authentic place. And I personally want to speak with Dave partly because he seems like a cool guy, which I confirmed. He is a very cool guy. And partly because sales is such a charged subject uh, for a lot of people that I meet, a lot of my friends, and for myself. Um, particularly when you're selling yourself in some way, it brings up a lot of internal stuff around greed and fears around being pushy and feelings of self-worth, at least for me sometimes. Um, and I really dug this conversation because um, we were able to reframe sales uh, to be just like any other intimate experience, like sex, for instance. Um, we go into that pretty deeply, and I, and I love Dave's perspective on it because it made sales seem actually a lot more fun and less of an icky subject. Um, and towards the end, uh, one of our live viewers actually asked us to role play a sales conversation, and it got a lot more real than I expected because Dave actually enrolled me. Uh, I mean, I was the client and Dave was the salesperson. Um, Dave enrolled me in a next step. So he was able to demonstrate his authentic sales process. And I mean, even in, we only did it for a few minutes, but he definitely helped me achieve clarity around what we were talking about. So it was pretty cool. Uh, uh, if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, uh, just remember to follow me on crowdcast.io slash Rwando. You can see all the upcoming episodes with all our upcoming guests. Uh, and you can join us and uh, ask questions to myself or uh, our future guests uh, when we air live. Um, so this is episode 002, Dave Burns on Sales Alchemy. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. All right, we are live. Uh, yeah, so thanks for being here, Dave. My pleasure. Yeah, I think we're going to cover a lot of different topics. Definitely want to speak to you about sales. And I usually don't like starting with a background question, but I know you have an interesting uh, background in terms of how you got into your work. You were a cello player before, right? That is one of the things that I did, okay. yeah. <laughs> you want to give us like a brief trajectory on how you found your way into becoming the business monk? Sure. Um, oh man, there are a lot of ways to tell this story. <laughs> Basically, I grew up really hating feelings and uh, valuing only intellect and reason and logic in a really intense way. And being a fairly sensitive, emotional soul got super fucked up as a result. And the kind of internal tension springboarded me into just massive craigslist casual encounters scouring right mm. out of college just like just desperate intimacy hunting through whatever cd means i could find and uh in that kind of state i discovered the world of conscious intimacy sort of accidentally mm -hmm. i was just kind of trying to find anywhere where i was allowed to talk to women basically but ended up in <laughs> in this kind of amazing like authentic relating settings and one taste and um and that was my kind of portal basically just being super super desperately hungry for sex and intimacy that was my portal into the world of personal development it was initially first just relational mm -hmm. and for a while basically just really wanting to have sex and connection 
propelled me forward into exploring all of this stuff is coaching, growth, spirituality. And, uh, and was that of not interest of any interest to you prior to the, the need for intimacy or no, just, no, okay. not at all. I mean, I, I had meditated for a while, uh-huh. but that was, um, that was mostly to like regulate my anxiety so that I could talk to women. So yeah. it was always kind of, um, so no, it was really truly just to get intimacy. That was the fuel. Cool. Yeah, I found a lot with most people who like really dive deep into personal growth or spirituality, they had some like really painful problem that made them pay attention to it. Otherwise, they would have never picked up a self-help book or explore anything like that. Yeah, well, because it's super humiliating to read a self-help book. Yeah, it's a terrible, uh, it's a terrible category name, self-help. Like, it's awful. No way to be proud of it. <laughs> section of a bookstore. No. Yeah, and like the, the term like conscious. Yeah, people. T- even just personal development sounds a little weird. So yeah. the whole process is super humiliating. You need like a lot of pain to be willing to dive in. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So you had this pain point. You started, and then you became. I guess start exploring it. Uh, got excited about personal development or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got. I got sort of. Um, I used to be a, a fairly hardcore drug addict, mm-hmm. so. So the addiction part of me latched onto personal growth. Uh-huh. It was just this new. I was like, oh my god, there's this, there's the thing that is, is both really intense and quite sensational. Mm-hmm. You know, like leaning into personal edges, stepping into fear, exploring my inner dark demons consciously is like an intense experience. But it doesn't like cost a ton of money and hurt people like drugs do. Yeah. So it was initially kind of a replacement. And um, so I dove super deep, super fast into all of this work as a result of having kind of addictive tendencies. Gotcha. Okay. And then how did that uh, branch into the, the sales focus and like the business monk uh, brand, I say? Yeah. Uh, through two kind of parallel avenues. One was when I started experiencing this work, you know, the work of conscious relationship of personal development and growth, it became super important to me really fast. And so I wanted to share it with people. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately started working with a business that was in that space to try to help other people have the same kind of access that I did. That was one side of it. So I got involved first with event production, and then quickly with selling also. Mm -hmm. Um, The other side was a huge part of my personal growth journey was leaning into my edges and facing my fears. And mm-hmm. an enormous edge was selling in business. I, I hated both. I was terrified of both of those things. So mm-hmm. I immersed myself in them balls to the wall. Gotcha. And uh, did you, I mean, I guess we'll probably talk about sales charge uh, as a term, um, but uh, before you were a seller, did you have like, um, were you averse to sales as like a buyer? Did you have any like uh, aversion to that prior? I like the term seller. That's a cool, yeah. I don't usually hear that. Usually I think it's like salesman, salesperson. Yeah. Well, I like to boil things down to the actual verb of what you do. Sales. Yeah. So there's seller, you know, I like that a lot. I like this verb thing. Yeah. So yeah, a seller. So uh, the question is before I was a seller, was I averse to being sold to? Yeah. Or like just the, the idea. Cause I think I, what I love about what your, your take on sales 
is like, I guess, the almost spiritual aspect or how it, it's so tied into who we are, as opposed to this like uh, exchange of money for material goods that I think a lot of people get nervous around and it brings up all this shit we'll probably talk about. Um, so I'm curious about your take on it prior to any of this. Did you have a bunch of sales charge or you like, do you have a bunch of aversion to it prior or did it only come up in the discomfort of asking people for money? You know, I would say I actually relative to most people probably had fewer negative associations mm -hmm. with selling. I didn't, Hey, I, I knew that car salesman was kind of a bad thing. Like from the movie Matilda, it's like a <laughs> you know, negative stereotype. Yeah was sort of, um, but I didn't have a lot of, I hadn't had a lot of kind of traumatizing experience of being sold to personally. Mm -hmm. um, I more felt like business was just kind of gross. My family's all academics. So it's just kind of like a dirty, weird, Yeah, they don't really care about like ideas and books and stuff. So it was just kind of lesser. But um, I had a ton of resistance to doing sales anyway, just because even without kind of cultural stereotypes against selling there's something just about the act of selling itself that carries a ton of charge because it's directly related to power and desire and manipulation yeah so uh was that exciting to you at the same time of course okay. yeah it's super exciting yeah it's like sex it's like it's, it's exciting largely because it carries tons of shadow yeah, this is funny. This is a bit of a tangent, but as soon as you said that thing about like the personal aspect of sales, I was thinking about like how you are like walking into someone's space, like into their space, like when you are offering them a good. And it made me think of um, this book I read on how it's it's weird tangent, but it's called On Killing about how it's so um, unnatural to like hit someone uh, because you're you're actually entering their space. Uh, so. Similar images came up for me because like, I've always had like a lot of discomfort in sales and also discomfort with like walking into someone's physical space. So mm -hmm. maybe it's a random aside. Uh, that's the image that came up for me. Uh, that's super related. That's super, super related. That Okay, that exact conversation is actually uh, what started my relationship with my fiance. Hmm. Do, you, do you want to say more? No, it's pretty. I just I posted something about sales on my Facebook page, okay. and she replied with essentially what you just said. Uh -huh. And I was like, "You're really interesting." We started talking, and I got engaged. Oh, okay, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, so, how did you? Uh, you know, you, you brought up the word manipulation and power. Um, how did you reconcile that or integrate that in a way that made sales fun? Like, I'm still curious. Like, what, at what point did it become this fun thing for you or enjoyable pursuit? My first moment that I remember it being, I mean, it all describable as fun, like anything close to fun or pleasant mm -hmm. was actually not selling any specific pro. I was doing a sales exercise. I, uh, I was just taking it on as a personal challenge to go out into the world and sell something mm -hmm. on the street to kind of train myself. Um, and I decided I was going to sell a piece of gum. I had a piece of gum in my pocket, uh -huh. like a dentine ice. And I just went up to these people and I was, I tried to sell them a piece of gum. Um, and it didn't go well. Another group of people also didn't go well. Went up to another group of people. And finally, this one couple outside of a coffee shop, like having a nice conversation. And I just intruded. And I don't remember what I said, but they ended up buying it for a dollar. This guy actually one bought it. One piece of gum for a dollar. Yeah. It was a pretty good Yes. Yeah. 
yeah, totally. If, if I could have kept that going, that would have been amazing margins. It could yeah. have been a business. But I remember walking away from it. And the initial experience itself was whatever. But I was walking away from it. And the kind of just euphoric flood of energy that came through my body as a direct result of this experience of having sold something was unlike anything that I ever felt. Mm. It took me a while to kind of digest what had happened and figure out what was involved there. But that was the first moment I remember it being like that. This is uh, there's something special about this experience. Mm. And was it the winning? Was it like feeling the feeling like you won after a lot of rejection or was there something more to it? Winning is certainly a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Like the winning, the power it's is one of, I mean, selling is one of the most direct ways to feed the, uh, the kind of ambition beast. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like winning a battle with someone almost. Right. So that shadow aspect of it was definitely present, but it was, it was a lot of things. It was, it was winning it was making actual money, like the experience of money, which is an incredibly powerful kind of energetic force entering into my space where before it hadn't been. It was relief. It was the feeling of kind of the wash of safety after entering into this dangerous terrain, this dangerous social terrain. And it was also a certain sense of profound intimacy, honestly. Mm. There had been a form of connection with someone else that was intense, where there's shadow and charge and all of these things at play, just like with sex. Yeah. And it came out the other side with both people being happy and whole. Yeah. And so moving through that kind of shadow portal together and emerging the other side alive has this kind of um, incredible visceral feeling of connectivity, of oneness, mm-hmm. that's similar to someone saying yes to a date or like fucking. Yeah, I love that perspective. I I never really thought about sales and sex going together in that sense. Um, Iris in the chat said, this all sounds like a battle. And just for everyone who's listening live, uh, feel free to to ask your questions in the chat and we'll we'll get them to Dave. Um, But I, because my my first couple sales jobs, my first couple of jobs out of college were sales jobs. And they're all like very like, Broy boiler room type offices, where it's like coffees for closers. We all like watch the Alec Baldwin thing. It's all about like conquering, you know. Our like we we kind of treated our our uh, marks, our, our clients as like people that we won over or like overpowered or something. And it never felt good to make money, which is why I think I didn't stay in that industry too long. Um, but what you're saying is kind of like the opposite. Like you're kind of like exchanging fluid with someone, exchanging energy with someone just instead of like fluid, it's like, uh, it's dollars. Um, so for someone who maybe looks at sales in like the aggressive, overpowering way, how do you guide someone to see it in a way where it's more about connection? Is there a process even? Yeah, it's the same process as you, you would use to bring someone from kind of the frat boy culture of sexual conquest into uh, the possibility of genuine, authentic connectivity through relationship. Hmm. So it's a sales process yeah. is the short answer. <laughs> it, it starts out by getting people to honestly, authentically feel to the bottom the profound pain and dissatisfaction 
that comes from, in the case of the Frapway House, just Sachs's conquest. Like if you have a real conversation with people who've approached it that way, I used to, so I know what this was like. If you actually get to the bottom of it, it feels terrible to the people who are engaged in conquest. Mm. Like they're deeply, deeply dissatisfied. Yeah, it requires and, a level of numbing to get yeah, to close it off. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You have to, to some extent, you have to feel that, mm-hmm. that reality in, in order to open up to the other option. Um, I will say, while we're on this, one thing that does not work, um, just like with the frat culture, is shaming for sexual desire. This is something that often happens in, in selling is um, people see the, the possibility of sales as conquest. They see the kind of cultural examples. They see Alec Baldwin. Yeah. And they're like, okay, that's sales. That's clearly fucked on some level. So I'm just going to shut down this part of me that wants to sell. The same way you could look at like rape culture, for example, and shut down the part of you that wants to have sex instead of actually learning consent and communication. Yeah, because I see a lot of people who are afraid to sell, specifically sell themselves. And this was a challenge I had because eventually I was able to sell for different organizations that I believed in and other people. But when I when I transitioned to selling my own coaching or my own products, I, I became like I went back to square one. And I think it's the fear of, um, well, it's, it's like this idea of like, or if I don't want to be numb, if I don't want to conquest, if I don't want to conquer people uh, in a numb way and I have to like really feel their objection on the surface. And then it that makes me, maybe sometimes I don't want to go past it. Um, so what do you say to those kinds of people who are like using empathy as an excuse to not penetrate or go deeper in a sales conversation? That's an amazing question. I really like you. <laughs> I like you too. This is the first time we've gotten to connect. Yeah, I really <laughs> I have a lot of respect for that question. Good. So the question is, uh, what do you say to people who are using empathy as an excuse not to penetrate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So empathy is potentially the most useful possible ally to have in selling and building a business, mm-hmm. genuinely. And it's also one of the most likely blocks to selling if there's a slightly off relationship to it. Mm. If your relationship with empathy isn't wholehearted and healthy, then empathy is one of the biggest potential roadblocks to actually being successful selling. And um, it comes down to this. The reason why empathy is so powerful is because if you allow yourself to be genuinely empathic and feel another person fully, then you're wholeheartedly on their side. You can feel what they're feeling. You can feel any kind of frustration they have. You can feel the reality of any desires that they have. Mm -hmm. And so you're motivated just as much as they're motivated to find some right next step could be your product, could be another service, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you're you're united. You're both trying to help their emotional reality express itself as an action, mm. as buying, as committing to something. You can only really do that if you're feeling real empathy. Mm. Um, what 
where people fuck up, where people get stuck here is they're actually not fully empathic. It's not that they're not empathic enough. It's that there's some way in which they're not fully willing to be with the other person's feeling. So for example, if you're in a sales conversation with someone and the, the client is starting to feel some kind of deep pain, some like, um, let's say you're having a conversation about potentially helping them with their relationships and they've started to touch this, this pocket of just emptiness. If they were to fully feel that, feeling that is actually the thing that would allow them to break through their current inertia to make a real change, mm -hmm. potentially by buying something about relationships with you or just committing to making a change, whatever it is. But where a lot of empathic people get stuck here is they're feeling that person's pain. And instead of feeling it all the way, because they're not comfortable feeling it themselves, because they're not fully willing to be with all of it, they push through it. They skip past it. Hmm. So they'll say, rush through that part in the conversation. Or they'll try to rush to fix that person immediately. The, the simple mistake is in, they're, they're not willing to be fully present with what another person is feeling mm. because it's uncomfortable to feel. Yeah, I can see how that could both come off as pushy or as being too soft if you're not feeling it. Uh, exactly. It's just like it's kind of like just being off the stroke or off the... Yeah. Yeah, being, being pushy and being too soft actually come from exactly the same place. Mm which is just an unwillingness to be present. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, one word that came into my head when we were saying that was uh, codependence. Like they're using the sale as a way to validate themselves to make sure that they're liked or that they're a successful salesperson. Um, I think that's probably something that comes up a lot. And then they blame like, oh, that person didn't really want the thing. Maybe they did or they didn't, but they weren't feeling the actual feeling. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've seen all these applications to what you just said. And like also, like if someone does have an adverse reaction to something that maybe comes off as pushy or something and they get confrontational, that's also not something to to it's just like being in a fight with your your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like it's not the thing, it's something else underneath that was touched. So right. cool. Yeah, I love that answer. I feel like I could keep talking about your answer forever. It's like all these like brain bubbles are popping now. Um cool. I uh, I did want to ask about uh, on the other end of things, as a salesperson, especially when you're selling yourself in some way, your own product or your own thing, this idea of self-worth. And I, I see with lots of different sales professionals and business consultants, they have, I see a lot of different opinions on it that often contradict on like the idea of like uh, charging what you're worth or like or this idea of like your the amount of income you deserve, like Brian Tracy calls it the self-concept, other people call it havingness. Uh, do you have a specific take on that as, as far as like the, the, the specific dollar amount you ask for something and how it relates to, or how it comes up in the conversation? Yeah, I do. I do. So there's one approach which you just alluded to, which is essentially using money, using the amount of money that you're charging as a kind of rubric for your self-worth. Mm. So increasing your prices as a way to stretch your own sense of worth. 
Mm. to step into the next level of acknowledging your own value. That's one approach. I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with that approach. Mm -hmm. And it's an arbitrary approach. It's just a game to play. Mm -hmm. You're just arbitrarily harnessing this one thing for the sake of something that you want. Mm -hmm. The, The thing about that approach is it connects the amount of money you're making to your worth. Yeah. Which is a fine game to play, but at its root is insane. Like... There are tons of people who everyone admires, who everyone, like people who changed the world, who made very little money, Mm. like zero money. Socrates did not have low self-worth. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I don't, I don't mean to shame that game. That's a fine game. I've Mm. played it and it's an arbitrary one. The... The thing I would say is um, because people often do have the amount of money they're making attached to their sense of worth, it's an okay game to play to boost their worth up to the point where money doesn't matter anymore, maybe. And I see a really useful accompaniment. If you're going to be playing that game, a really useful accompaniment is also uh, to maybe detach the amount of money you're making from your sense of worth. There's no reason that they should be directly related. Yeah. Does that come up uh, when you're working with people in sales, like this, uh, the detachment or the level of attachment they have to self-worth? For sure. Yeah. It's, yeah, central. Is that, a, is that something, is there a process you have uh, or, uh, as far as detaching or something that you suggest people look at? Because um, I'm thinking like, all right, yeah, it's like, I think most people know they shouldn't base their self-worth on their income, but like, how do you, where do you start? Mm-hmm. Well, rather than trying to kind of actively detach them mm-hmm. and separate and like, you know, chisel away, yeah. um, I've found the most useful approach to be to figure out the things that subconsciously people actually care about more than money. Mm. The things in themselves that they really genuinely to the bone deeply value. It's often some version of integrity. Mm. So rather than a kind of outside in approach, of you know raising your prices in order to increase your sense of worth uh another option is to go from the inside out and to say okay in order to raise my sense of worth i'm actually going to change my life in a way that makes me feel more worthy often looks like going through and listing out every single amends to every person that you haven't made every open cycle, everything you haven't addressed and systematically going through them. At the end, people have a sense of, of real worth, mm. worth based in things that they really believe in, not of just kind of accidentally accrued um, in a way that money no longer really matters quite as much. Mm. And I made, I'd imagine that helps you be detached from the sale going one way or another as well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's massive. This is why, I mean, so one of the reasons why I love sales as a personal growth practice is because it's very easy. Sales lends itself extremely well to using selfish motivations for a higher purpose. Mm. So for example, you sell way better if you feel good about yourself 
and you sell way better if you're detached from the outcome. Hmm. So you're then motivated by the fact that you want to make more money, that you want to actually close more clients to increase your worth, which you can only do by living a life of more integrity ultimately. Hmm. And also to develop a sense of detachment from the outcome of things, which you generally do by a rigorous meditation practice. Hmm. So is that uh is meditation something that you prescribe to people who want to get better at sales? Yes. Awesome. Necessary. Now, what about people who are and and this might just be the circumstances, but they when they're actually when they're in a circumstance where they need a specific sale, whether they're a car salesman or whatever, or trying to sell a course and like they put everything into this thing and like they actually they know they shouldn't be attached. They know they shouldn't enter the sales conversation with scarcity, but they actually need to make the next whatever amount of money that is. Uh, is there anything you suggest to people in those like situations where they actually do need the sale based on their material situation? Let's say like they have to pay rent. Yeah. Okay. So you have to pay rent. It's the 30th of the month. Yeah. There's you have negative bank balance yeah. is the situation. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people get super fucked up here. Mm -hmm. Super, super fucked up. There's a kind of mental meme going around that if you ever feel needy or you're worried about money, then you shouldn't sell or that you can't sell well. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, that's actually a myth. Hmm. It's generally easier in a lot of ways to sell well when you're not worried about money, it's easier to be unattached. And it's just not true that it's impossible. I've done some of my best selling when I was broke. Hmm. So there's, there's two key parts to that specific kind of selling. This is something you should actually, I think you should always do, but it's especially important in those kind of high pressure scenarios financially. Um, and then there's kind of 2.5, we'll say. Uh, so, so one is the simplest way to say it is approval for the shadow. Hmm. Approval for the parts of you that you don't really want to acknowledge the fear, terror, greed, all of those things. There's a part of you, you know, regardless of how many things you believe about non-attached selling and just going out and being of service, there's a part of you that wants to close the fucking sale. Like you want the money. You want the money to mm -hmm. move from that person's bank account into your bank account immediately. You want to win. Mm -hmm. That's something that is usually present in people when they're selling. Mm -hmm. um, one way that works for some period of time is to squash that below the surface and just try to sell up here in the world of kind of service and integrity, et cetera, that yeah. my experience has diminishing returns. Um, the time when it's hardest to ignore the shadow part of selling is when you're broke, broadly speaking. So it's yeah. an amazing opportunity to actually enter into a healthy relationship with this part. All of the shadow parts that are involved in selling, greed, fear, 
power hunger, et cetera, all of those things are some of the most amazing fuel sources for building a business if they're actually alive and united with the lighter half of the soul, with the service, integrity, et cetera. If you're actually a yeah. whole human being who's fueled by all of those things, then you're essentially unstoppable in the creation of your vision. You're operating at full capacity in your sales conversations. So, so step one is simple approval. Approval starts with acknowledgement and it ends with love. So that can be just as simple as sitting down, feeling all of those parts and being fully present with them. It can get more complicated, like actually saying to those parts, I love you, thank you. It can involve writing mm -hmm. letters to them. You can do cool, whatever whatever kind of personal development work that you, that you like to do on those things. But the simplest is just acknowledgement and, and love, approval. Um, the next part is having some place for all of that energy to go. So if that's just kind of energy and it's grasping and you don't, it has nowhere to, then it, it's sort of useless. It's not really fuel, it's just electricity. Just kind of moving around. Mm -hmm. So having a place for it to go means actually having a process, having a container, having something that's set in place for you to have your attention and energy poured into in the sales process. Generally, that's some kind of process, some kind of guideline. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a script, but it's it's something. It's it's a shape, a set of rules that you follow. And without having that in place, the, the main disadvantage to not having that in place is that your energy doesn't have anywhere to go and you end up just grasping instead of focusing. Um, I'm a little confused on the second step. So do you mean like, like a sales funnel or like, what do you mean exactly by somewhere for it to go? I'm, an example would be, um, so if I go into a sales conversation and I'm just kind of hungry and I'm like approving of it and I'm just trying to get the person's money, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's, it's probably not going to go that well. But if I have a process that I know I'm going to go through, Let's say I'm going to ask the person specific questions, like the questions that you ask, the things you say are part of a process. Another part. Oh, God. Oh, Iris has an awesome question. Yeah, we can do that. Um, okay. Another, another part of, uh, of the process of the, of the container to pour energy into are your principles or guidelines. So, for example, my principle, one of my principles in any sales conversation is genuinely sell the person what it seems like would most benefit them where they're at. For me, a lot of mm -hmm. the time, that's actually not my program. Mm. But I'm still going to sell them just as hard on whatever I think it is. Could mm. be another coach, could be a book, could be a practice, whatever it is. So that's a kind of container that I have. Other other elements gotcha. of the container, or for example, uh, a sales shape, a sales process. We talk about this in, in sales alchemy a lot. There's different elements, kind of um, first principles of selling that it's powerful to include in a conversation. Um, so having having principles, having actual steps for me to follow in a process, it gives you somewhere for all of that energy to go. It allows you to pour your focus into a process rather than an outcome. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and it sounds like from what I've read on your your site, like you ha you help people create their own personal processes r rather than following your script. Is there, do you have a process for helping someone create their own personal process or find their own way that they sell? Yeah, yes. That's, I mean, that's the main thing that we're doing in the Sales Alchemy course. 
is gotcha. you know, Friday. We're breaking down what all of the principles are. There's other things that we're doing, but in regard to that, breaking down what the first mm -hmm. principles of selling are. Saturday, we're practicing them all, drilling, finding our own authentic expressions of them. And Sunday, people are actually creating their own sales processes that, that work, that are deeply effective, and are 100% aligned with their beliefs, their strengths, and their services. Cool. Do you find when you do that, uh, is, it, is there like, is it like snowflakes or are there certain types of people like Both. this person, this kind of seller? Both. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, if you look at a bunch of snowflakes, there's certain kind of, there's always, it's always a hexagon, right? There's certain, there's certain kind of families of snowflake. So everyone's expression is different, but there's <laughs> okay. similar shapes. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, cool. I, I have some other things. I have questions on greed, but we could, we could I like uh, Iris's thing. We could actually throw it in now. Uh, how could we do this? Demonstrate the sale. That's great. Well, we can actually just dive in. We don't have to role play. I can just genuinely sell you something. I, I can just okay. talk to you where you're at in life and then sell you on whatever I think would be the best next step. Sounds Let's good. Let's do it. All right. So what's up in life? Uh, what's up in life? I uh, just moved to Austin uh, in this new awesome relationship. I find myself, I left New York to avoid certain stresses in a very complicated lifestyle. And I find myself recreating uh, complexity. Like I, I went out of my way to like not make friends when I came to Austin, not jump into a bunch of hobbies. Like I want to keep things simple, but I find like my days are, are very complex still. And uh, I'm like, like, why? I, what pattern is this in me that I'm making like my life complex again? Would you say a little more about what it looks like for life to be complex? Um, I have a lot of goals, and they seem to take away from each other. Like, I want to write my book, which I've been putting off for a while, uh, but I also want to keep building my email list, and I'm launching a YouTube thing, and and even even this project, which I enjoy a lot is taking an hour away from something else. And I, I'm having trouble balancing uh, after I've made all the space in my schedule, it still seems very crowded. Yeah. Okay. Would you actually run me through those goals? So there's building an email list, writing a book. Oh uh, yeah. So the big thing, so writing the book has been a huge ambition my whole life. Uh, it's almost done. It's like a three quarters of the way done book. Um, and I've wanted to, I mean, I've spoken to publishing agents in New York and things like that. And I never like finished those cycles, um, uh, building this business of like uh, coaching and, uh, providing leads for other coaches that I'm training and putting out more courses. And that requires me to produce a lot of content, blogs and videos and things and keep pumping things out. And, uh, that that's like the biggest uh, conflict. I think I feel like I've only certain uh, certain hours in the week where I can like be creative, and I there's all these things that require me to keep pumping out ideas. Uh, and then and then there's like secondary things, uh, physical fitness. Um, not to say that my relationships in any way secondary, but I don't have like a specific goal other than I want to put a lot of attention on it, and that that takes up time. I don't want to even put it that way. It sounds bad, but it, it does. You know, it takes up time and energy and attention. Watch out for that vocabulary. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think she might be watching right now. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I have like these other things that I want to do. Like I want to do parkour, and like, I'm not stressed out about that. But like every milestone, whether it's the New Year or my birthday or the end of the quarter, I'm like, oh, I still haven't gotten like I still haven't been doing jujitsu, or I still haven't learned to do a backflip. You know, like the bucket list things that if I'm 40 and then it hasn't happened, I think I would be quite stressed, or I get stressed thinking about like going 
years without doing these mm -hmm. things. Got it. Got it. And you said, and you said this was happening in New York already, the kind of complications. I blame New York for a lot of it. And New York is, you know, it's a more stressful town, but like I had a lot more friend groups. I had a lot more little things I was involved in. Um, I knew a lot of people. I was commuting. I spent a lot of time commuting up and down the city. So I was like, oh, in Austin, it'll be so simple. Uh, but it doesn't feel necessarily this, like, I don't have the simplicity I'm expecting. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever not experienced ever this level of complication? Um, in times of fuck it mode, like last year, I decided to not do anything business related for like six months and I just have no ambitions and I didn't feel those stresses. Uh, I also didn't make much money and I didn't really do much other than like, I actually did all the secondary things. I was doing jujitsu a bunch and working out a lot, but not really anything else. Okay. So the secondary things when you were in fuck it mode, you were doing, but the more kind of ambitious business building, creating book writing, et cetera, you were not. Yeah, I avoided it, all of it. I dropped all my goals. Okay, got it. Hmm. I know we're kind of role playing and you're being a super good sport and being really vulnerable. Um, And I just want to check in. Is it okay if we get super real about this? Sure. Okay. Awesome. So before we dive in more. If I got nervous. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. You talked about being 40, these things not having been crossed off, being stressed. Which one of your current goals would feel the most devastating to have not been fulfilled by then? The book. The book. Mm -hmm. Is there a number two? In general, not like amassing an amount of, or not being financially stable in a way that I would want. Like not, I don't know, it's not a specific dollar yeah. amount, but financial okay. abundance. So the book and then financial abundance, like serious financial yeah. abundance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. It sounds like both of these are things that you've put attention on, you've been working towards, but there's something mm -hmm. still that's, there's some complications still getting in the way. Mm -hmm. hmm. Do you have any idea of why? Um, the fear with both is the, the doubting of self-worth. A lot of the sales stuff we talked about, uh, means a lot because it comes up for me in different aspects. Uh, the fear of finishing the book and having it not be good terrifies me. Um, 
and then the wealth from like not being able to provide for a family is scary. Uh, and when I think about like the worst case scenarios, it makes you want to go back into fuck it mode and like not have ambitions mm-hmm. and like just do martial arts in the park and drink beer at night. And like, that'll be my life, okay. you know? Are you done to actually feel those for a moment? So you talked about like not being able to provide for a family. Mm-hmm. Never finishing the book. How important is this stuff to you? Very. Well, it felt funny to say very just now. Hmm. Hmm. Can I share a reflection? Mm-hmm. So, my sense is that you're very good at being happy. Mm-hmm. There's just a certain level of play and understanding, maybe like non dual spirituality, I don't know, mm-hmm. but just perspective and joy that. You have a kind of facility with that's extremely rare in anyone I've connected with. That means that, honestly, my sense is, from the conversation so far, there's actually a part of you that would be totally fine not writing a book, struggling financially for a long time. You'd still manage to be a good partner, present, joyful, vulnerable, be building things, manage to nourish yourself, might be uncomfortable, but you'd live. That's not true for everyone. Some people would go into a really, really deep hole, like they don't have the same kind of tools for joy and presence that you do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's when I was telling my girlfriend that if I didn't get my book out, I'd be like incredibly, incredibly depressed. And I was kind of joking, but um, yeah, I mean, that is something I know how to do. I think that's true. Yeah. Right. So that's an amazing gift. And the ability to feel joy to be fine. It's also the thing that'll destroy all of your visions if you let it. Hmm. So you're saying uh, allowing myself to feel more dissatisfaction would drive me to get that extra 
output perhaps? I'm saying there's a part of you that would be fine with anything on some level. Then there's a part of you that just wouldn't. It's a part of you that actually fucking cares about creating a book. It's not going to be happy without that happening. There's a part of you that will not be happy unless you make it enough money, a ton of money, whatever it is. Mm. So the crossroads you're at is the choice of whether or not you want to actually honor these parts. It's a choice. If you do, I have some recommendations. But the feeling of it will be temporary unhappiness. Okay. Well, I'm definitely game to hear the potential solutions. Well, it would be crazy to talk about them without actually mm -hmm. having the context for it. So if you had to choose between feeling fine, pretty fine, mm -hmm. and let's say never writing a book, never achieving real financial abundance. Oof feeling pretty fine or actually feeling the depth of that dissatisfaction about those things but taking massive action as a result and really creating the things that you want which would you choose that is a tough question Because like, on, I definitely on the surface, I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say like, I would be like, oh, I kind of just want to be a happy Winnie the Pooh because I'm so good at it. Um, but that feels like a waste of like this entire incarnation if I did that. Uh, and now I'm like remembering how like I love books like The War of Art because they talk about the romance of being a humiliated, struggling artist which i have spent the last couple of years trying to leave that trope of like being a broke brooklynite um but yeah it would be the second to, to take the massive action it would yeah fuck yeah I'm really enjoying the clarity in which you put the crossroads because I, I have never thought of it that way. I believe the choice. You feel it. Hmm. There's three key tools in my experience that are the most powerful kind of allies if you're going to choose that route. And I could kind of quickly sketch them now, but it'd actually be more helpful to set up a, another half hour call and for me to really give them to you. Do you want to do that? Uh, yeah. Cool. After this call, we'll put that on the calendar. Cool. Sweet. Uh, 
Yeah, thank you. So, if I were to now put myself out of it and summarize the process, it seems much of what you do in a sales conversation is essentially what a coaching conversation is, is just driving someone towards clarity. It's a huge part of my process, yeah. I, not everyone's process, but I'm a yeah. clarity junkie, so for me it is. Yeah, yeah. And it feels good. I mean, it felt uncomfortable, especially when, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of that was uncomfortable for me. And Thank uh, you also felt, for showing up for that. You fucking killed it. Appreciate it, especially yeah, the, the, the podcast. I was not expecting it. Thank you, Iris, for the suggestion. That is definitely an interesting way to end this. Um, yeah, I have other questions, like little questions, like on greed. But um, I think it's almost been answered through that process of like, uh, in bringing someone towards clarity as the seller, uh, it everything it's like you're like rearranging the pieces for both parties or rearranging pieces in the world to like make things clear, uh, which if you have the structures in place to provide the solutions to someone's need or the, the action for someone, that's where the money comes in. I might've said that a little bit convolutedly, but that's like how I saw what you just did. Yeah. That's a beautiful description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, kinds of, yeah. There's lots of different ways to talk about it, but that's, that's one of the best descriptions of it I've heard. Awesome. I will say, yeah, I, received- up. I will just say, you know, that's, <laughs> going through that that's not only not everyone's kind of sales conversation that's not always my kind of sales conversation what we just did that Mm -hmm. was a sales conversation suited to you to the topic to my mood currently Mm -hmm. to stuff that i'm playing with and experimenting right now with my own practice so no sales conversation i've ever had has looked exactly like that but that was the kind of real-time improvisatory expression and it was a real sales process I've, I've sold you awesome. a call. That was the product. Yeah. And it seems like even with the improvisation, you did, I don't know what the exact structure you had is. It sounds like you do have some sort of structure and that is like, oh, here's your cue to invite me to the next thing. Is that right? Like, do you have a skeleton in your mind of like, oh, at this point, I invite the client to this or this or... So these, these days in my own practice, uh, I, I invite people. I'll make an actual offer when it feels mm. right to me. Mm. When the moment feels right. Usually some of the things that are present there are a kind of popping, a kind of clarity, a sense of commitment, like an actual decision from the other person to take a particular path. Mm-hmm. But the I'll just kind of quickly break down my general approach. The way that I, so I'm a, I was a cellist. I'm a musician. I did a lot of improv cello specifically. And um, the basis of improvisation is you practice a ton. You focus a ton. You concentrate a ton. You try a lot privately so that when the moment actually comes to perform, you can be thoughtless. Hmm. So it's like you have these little riffs uh, like embedded in you and they just pop out. Exactly. Yeah. So in the moment, you can just be present, feel in real time, let things come out. Um, the approach of just simple, intuitive flow in a sales conversation rarely works. 
if you haven't practiced extensively, mm-hmm. if you don't have certain kind of basic building blocks, even if you haven't trained, if you don't just have a certain kind of core understanding of the building blocks, the first principles of what selling is. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all for improvising, Chantel. Do you find that the more open and vulnerable you are publicly, the more people come to you wanting to give you money because they already feel connected to you on some level? What an amazing question. Amazing question, but yeah, awesome question. Um, this is something a ton of people have, have been talking with me about recently, actually. There's this... Um, so I'm, I'm going to give a... I'm going to answer a question tangential to this one first, and I'm going to answer it. So um, a lot of people are hesitant to be vulnerable in public. Um, Like a lot of people would not have been willing to do what you just did, for example, and get really real about where you're at, where you want to go, um, if they're going to be selling things because they feel like they're going to lose their credibility or their expertise. Mm. And that actually makes sense. Like, it is in fact easier to buy from someone who seems like a credible authority like someone with fewer problems that's real that is a principle of selling but there's another principle of selling that's easier to buy from someone who you trust so if you're real if you're vulnerable if you share yourself transparently with the world you my experience is you counterbalance the loss of authority or credibility by increasing trustworthiness. And this is a kind of specific example of basically every piece of sales advice that anyone ever gives has an equally valid opposite. Hmm. So to some extent, people are more open to buying from like you, for example, or, or me, because we have a tendency towards vulnerability in public. Um, but certain people won't because we've lost authority. And other people who are totally closed would never reveal a single weakness in public, boost their credibility and thus their sales by being that way with some people, and also lose some trustworthiness, so lose some sales. So the simple answer, this is this is why the foundation of sales out of the course that we're teaching is authenticity, because all of the rules have have an opposite when it comes to sales. All of these things do. At the end of the day, if you're authentic and deliberate and you practice, then the kind of the principles arrange themselves and the people who should buy from you do. Hmm. So in general, you're trying to get people away from what is like, I, I'm thinking of food now. People are always trying to figure out like, what's the right macro uh, <laughs> balance. And you're like, just like, Yours is kind of like more of like an Ayurveda approach of just what is your, your what's the word, um, constitution and just match that. Right. Exactly. It's, it's Ayurveda and it's also science now. Like the forefront of science, of nutrition, of medicine is starting to actually match people with specific diets, specific drugs based on their individual genetic makeups. And it's just insane that the same thing isn't happening with business. Yeah. Huh. Have you thought about writing a book? I am writing a book. Okay, great. I'm glad. <laughs> I hope to read it soon. It'll be out in December. Awesome. Uh, so uh, would you like to speak a little bit about your sales alchemy course or anything you have coming up soon? Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, 
And I just want to open it up before doing that because there's a giant button pointing to it right below this. It says Dave Sales Alchemy mm -hmm. Course. It has amazing information about it. Um, so I could talk about it. And I just want to open the floor to anyone who's on the call right now, instead of talking about it, could instead answer questions about any of the things we've been talking about or sales generally. Cool, cool. Yeah, you guys could check it out uh, right there. And if you listen to the recording, it will be attached uh, with this conversation. Um, let's see. Anyone on the call have any questions about anything we've discussed? Iris has a question. What do you got, Iris? Iris notices that I, Dave, have mastered the art of stillness, quote unquote, is this part of my technique. That's part of me. So because of that, it's part of my technique. Awesome. Uh, so for anyone who may listen to this later, uh, is there a best way to contact you if they have any other questions or want to learn more? Yeah, my website, thebusinessmonk.com, has a contact form. The contact form is primarily so that potential clients can contact me. But even if you're not a potential client and have zero interest in working with me, I love talking about this stuff. So if you just want to send me an email through that site, thebusinessmonk.com, I will send you an email back, usually within a week, answering any questions, engaging in dialogue about the overlap of business and selling and spiritual practice. It's my favorite thing in the world besides my relationship. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dave. This has actually been great. I'm going to listen to it again later in audio form. Uh, yeah, thanks for being here. This has been it's awesome. It's a pleasure. I'll send you a text to line up that call. Sounds great. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, make sure to follow me at crowdcast.io slash Rwando. See you next time.